And welcome back to the Nap DC podcast, also known as the Hyphenated Arabs podcast. So today we are interviewing, as we mentioned in the interview, one of our most requested people, and that is Huda Asfour. You guys know her as a musician, but she has a lot of other projects that she does. And she's just an really, she's just a very interesting person. And we hope you guys enjoy this interview. We wanted to mention a couple of things. One is that we have a couple of events coming up, one of them being the Halloween Bash. You guys have probably seen our really geeky memes posted all over our Instagram and Twitter, and they're just so much fun. We hope that really pumps you up and gets you ready for um, a really fun time. So the Halloween Bash is going to be, it's actually in two days, I believe. It's going to be on Tuesday, October 30th, the day before Halloween, um, from 7 to 10 p.m., the venue is La Pop in Lapis Restaurant, which is the downstairs portion of Lapis? Lapis? <laughs> I know I'm pronouncing something wrong. I think it's Lapis um, Restaurant, which is an Afghani restaurant. Super great food, really great people. It should be a fun time, and we hope you all enjoy it, get you into the fall Halloween season. And as you probably saw, our theme this year is Come As Your Favorite. Arabic singer, actor. I jokingly said politician because I don't know if anyone has a favorite Arab politician, but <laughs> just roll with it. Um, feel free to come as whatever you like, though. If you have a set Halloween costume that you'd like to wear, bring it. We just love to see you and hang out with you. We also can't forget to plug in our book club for the month. So November 13th is the set date, which I believe is a Tuesday from 7 to 8.30. And the book, I believe, is House of Stone. Yes, House of Stone. And it's at Middle East Books and More. So the normal spot, our normal hangout, it's like the cheers of the Nat Book Club. It's a great place. And I believe that's all the events we have for the month. But feel free to send your ideas. If you want to do something fun, let us know. Tag a board member, and we'll see what we can do. Uh, with that being said, we hope you enjoy this interview with Huda S4 and have a happy rest of the month and happy Halloween. And we'll talk to you all soon. Uh, 
Okay, everyone, welcome back to Hyphenated Arrows. So this month, by the way, we have Amr back. Hi, I'm back. <laughs> he abandoned me the last episode. I'm just kidding. Um, so we wanted to showcase a person that, honestly, I think this is one of the most requested people we had to come. Yeah, I know. Feel <laughs> impressed. Yeah. Um, from multiple sources. From multiple sources. Um, even people who are not in D.C., which is kind of cool. Um, to come on Hyphenated Arabs, and that is Huda S4. And I don't know, if, I'm sure that you guys know who this is. Um, she's a musician, she's an oud player, she's a vocalist, and I actually have to plug this in. I read your bio and it says, you are a musician, a biomedical engineer, a social entrepreneur, and also a professor. Uh, I am, I just started teaching. That's amazing. That's so cool. But all these amazing things, like how do you, you're like a jack of all trades, but a master of all of them, it seems. Wow. Yeah, it seems like you're very good at all of these I'm titles. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I feel very uh, privileged, so thank you for having me here. Of course. Um, so, you know, like, it's been kind of the, the highlight of everything, like the first question people do is like, how do you do this? Yeah. How can you be a biomedical engineer and a musician? Right. And it's kind of funny because so many of the engineers I know are also musicians in one way or another. Many people make the leap to kind of make music also a professional career. But sure. um, there's a lot of overlap, really, like in the way we think, solving problems, looking at structures, yeah. forms, lots of math in both. Um, so for me, they were not very completely, but it's uh, separate. But mm -hmm. the world we live in, obviously, yeah. people need to specialize, right? Right. So, um, and the journey with engineering came in a way very unexpectedly. So from a very early on, I was very determined that I was going to be a musician. And like all families <laughs> from the Arab world, yeah. if you're good in, in school, yeah. then you know you have to do something beyond that. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Music is something that you're good at, you're going to be doing anyway. Sure. So yeah. why waste your time and go to college to study music? That's so it was a bit of a, an uphill battle to convince my uh, parents, sure. especially that there were no programs. So had I lived in a place where I could have double majored, I think that would have been an easy thing to do. But in, I was in Ramallah then, mm. uh, and I graduated from the Rosary uh, Sister School in um, and applied for BZ after a year of my math, math teacher trying to convince me <laughs> that it's really a bad idea yeah. not to apply to the engineering school. Sure. So, daily lectures on how that needs to happen. <laughs> um, so I finally um, was convinced and applied and found love with the, with the process mm. uh, of what I was learning, the tools that, um, I saw in the potential mm -hmm. of what can happen with that. Right. Uh, but also it was kind of like, yeah, I'll just get the, you know, give it to my parents, very happy, and then I'll right. just go do music. Yeah. Um, then I came to the US. Um, On a scholarship, right? GW? Partial, partial scholarship to That's GW. Cool. Awesome. Um, and then uh, shortly after graduating, my 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 graduating project uh, was kind of where things started shifting and I started seeing things kind of more connected. I was going to do signal pressing for my masters, but then uh, one day I saw a heartbeat um, and when I started asking questions, 
there was so much engineering, and I was an electrical engineer mm. at the time. Um, so it just blew, me, blew my mind away, <laughs> and I decided that this is something that I need to know more about. Um, the kind of the intricacy of the electrical yeah. the, like, system that exists in the heart, right. and uh, really without much thinking, I really jumped into like it and decided to switch to a PhD yeah. in biomedical engineering focusing on biomedical research, so very non-planned. But it also sounds like you've, making, you've taken a lot of big steps in line with your passions and your true interests, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why you have such a, you wear so many hats, um, and like we said at the beginning, it seems like you've been very effective and successful in all these different areas. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the challenges of following your heart and doing what you want to do and, and how you balance? Because I think that's something a lot of people listening can relate to is, definitely. I work in this, but I have this hobby and in a perfect world, I wish my hobby was my job or whatever. And here it seems like you're, you're able to do all those things at once. So how do you do that? I mean, yeah, I, I, I was able to for some time, but honestly, mm. this the, the system is not designed for us to do this kind of work. Mm. So it takes a lot of work to figure out how you can coexist in all these spaces and not burn out sure. because that's something that happens and I, I, I had to deal with that as well. Um, for a long time I was very divided between being an engineer and between being a musician and it felt like I was kind of in disguise in either world. So if I'm an engineer, people who know me as an engineer are surprised that I do music right. and people who know me as a musician are like very, very like yeah. They don't really understand like right. how engineering fits into my life. Um, and then, because of all these battles, I really came to the conclusion that at the end of the day, I like to kind of do projects. So I think of them as projects that don't necessarily have to happen in parallel or sure. at the same time. Yeah. And for me, these are tools that I can make small change as I, as I use them. So, um, for me now, there's much more focus on education, trying to understand uh, some of the issues that we're dealing with in the educational system, a shifting sure. social reality where the current educational system is not really moving fast enough to, to reflect this change that we're seeing, mm -hmm. leading to people feeling much more cynical about the system and also a bit mm -hmm. more distant. Um, in their relation to education in general. Sure. Uh, so there is, I think there is a possibility, but it takes a little bit of planning, a little bit of yeah. luck, I think also. Yeah. It's, it's, it's true in um, uh, the ability to figure out how you can focus your energy mm. um, on these different things that mean something. Right. Yeah, I think it's also a mindset too that because we we're often we feel like we have to do X Y Z so much. You have to go to school. You have to graduate. You have to yeah. do whatever. And the system. Mindset where, yeah. Oh, this this might not apply to me. Even yeah. thinking that way is. And it's not an easy process. I mean, I went through very dark dark stages trying to figure out how I can actually. It's hard as an artist. Um, yeah. Do all, do the things that I want to do. Right. Um, I also came as an immigrant, so for much of my time, there sure. was no also choice in, in how to uh, plan my life, right? right. Uh, 
right. visa issues, uh, constraints at work, number of hours, and all this stuff. So um, it's not it's it's not necessarily an easy pro pro process, um, but I think the results are very um, satisfying. Sure. And do you think? Being a woman has, <laughs> I have to bring it up, <laughs> does it have like, you think more advantages or disadvantages, especially in like, especially as an artist, as a musician? What do you think? <laughs> uh, I mean, the disadvantages I think we've become all aware of. All of the, all, there's, I think there's been more talk than ever in the last two years about the difficulties that women face. Mm. Um, in their careers. Mm. I think the difficulty generally for me is that every time you have to prove yourself from point zero. It doesn't matter how much expertise you have, it doesn't right. matter how much knowledge you bring into the table, right. the fact that you're a woman means that you have to prove all of that first and mm. then we'll take you seriously and listen to you. Exactly. But most of the time I feel that my male colleagues are treated in a way mm. that is slightly different where we assume that you're good at what you do because you're here. Right. And then, unless you prove that you really don't know what you're talking about, we're going to assume that everything you say is absolutely credible. Right. Yep. And that's not always the case for women. I think it takes a lot of work to get to a position where you go into a room um, uh, and, and have that kind of authority. Yeah. But there were also some, some, some things that were a little bit facilitated, I think, by the fact that I was a woman, especially as far as people paying attention to what you do as a musician, because um, it's unexpected. Um, as our player, um, I think there is little credibility that comes from the male-dominated world of technical. Mm. Um, expertise. Um, mm. However, there are also more opportunities for funding, uh, especially at the early 2000s um, mm. when I started working. Um, there was um, there were opportunities for women who really wanted to have a career in mm. music to right. be able to apply for small grants that could help them start their career. They were never explicitly for women, uh, but I think. Um, there was encouragement and a little bit more interest um, had you made that uh, step to apply right. to actually uh, for people to help you kind of sure. take steps towards that. Yeah, and it seems like um, whether it's biomedical engineering or Raoult, they're both very male-dominated uh, fields. What is your what is your mindset when you walk into situations? Are you trying to be tough from the beginning or are you being more laid back, or do you even think about it? I was so oblivious, honestly. <laughs> like, I actually discovered racism, uh, not racism, sexism, way, way later in my career. Um, I grew up in a house that was, in many ways, that like looking back, gender, like, equal, no, yeah, like, no, yeah. Uh, neutral, gender neutral, right. no, no real understanding yeah. that if you are a woman, you can't do something. So. My real uh, sort of sense of that happened um, when I was 14, 15, I started working in Gaza um, and playing all publicly. Wow. Then I noticed that I was the only woman in a in public space or one of very, very few women who played the role. Mm. 
Um, and that kind of started to register. But it wasn't something that was, I was really aware of until much, much later in my life where I understood that, okay, like this is, people don't really see this as a usual phenomenon. Sure. Um, so I, it, I think I was lucky that I really didn't have that kind of understanding that if you are a woman, there are things that you can't do. Sure. Or there are things that society expects you not to do. Right. Um, I was sheltered enough to actually um, work through it, yeah. and then, of course, once you realize it, it's kind of a, yeah. another story in a way. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's funny like that. You look back. I, I think about that too. I grew up not thinking about being Arab in the U.S. in the United States. Yeah. My parents didn't. It was the same. But now, when I think back, I have these memories from elementary school. I'm like. Oh my God, that was racist. Like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even realize it in the moment. Yeah, so. people used to make fun of the kids. Used to make fun of my Lebanese sandwiches, <laughs> right. like all the time. They were just like, "Why are you eating a yogurt sandwich?" Yeah, like just things like that. You don't really notice when you're younger, and then when you get older, you're like, "Wow, that's really interesting." Yeah, and then you start. I started also noticing that other my yeah. friends were not yeah. getting the same treatment, so they would want to do something, and yeah. their response would be like, "Well, my father." is not letting me do that. Yeah. Or my mom won't let me do that. And yeah. that, that was not, I was really lucky to, yeah. to have an environment that fostered whatever crazy project I wanted to, to delve into. That's, that's fantastic. And so getting into your actual performances, when was your first like public performance? And do you also have like a memorable performance? Like one that really resonated with you where you walked off stage, you're like, wow, that was a really powerful thing. So, I mean, public for performance is, goes back all the way to school times, I think. Okay, yeah, right? that so is public performance. seven yeah. years old, I was singing as part of the end of school activities, you know, mm. um, kind of also in Tunis, representing oh, yeah. Palestinian oh, yeah. um, awesome. culture. Um, my, my, like, I used to listen a lot uh, in the house to uh, Sabrine, their mm. band uh, mm. from the 1980s. Uh, and their lead singer, Camilla Gibran, who um, I think def definitely influenced much of the repertoire we were listening to. Um, and then later in Gaza, and when I joined the conservatoire, there, mm. there were a few uh, public performances that are very uh, memorable. Yeah. Uh, probably the, the one that actually possibly sort of uh, Changed my understanding of what can be done with music was uh, um, <laughs> our first band. My the first band I uh, I started with Tamir Abu Ghazali back mm. in Cairo, mm. um, and it was um, I was mentored then. Uh, we were both kind of under under the mentorship of Khaled Jubran, wow. and. Um, I remember like, the uh, performance, it, our first performance at the Opera House in Alexandria. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was our first public uh, performance for the band in Alexandria, and um, it felt it felt like possibly my, the first time to understand how much of a responsibility this can be, sure. uh, both in terms of uh, the message that you 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 represent as an artist and also how the audience can understand yeah. that message so 
kind of my first interaction with how intentions don't get translated, you know, <laughs> properly into the yeah. audience. I think. So, right. Um, Your current so the most ubiquitous, I guess, thing you do in terms of performance is the bossa nova jam sessions, right? Uh, bossa bistro or bossa, uh, bossa uh, not bossa nova. So, yeah, bossa. so we're constantly matter <laughs> jam sessions. And the idea was to uh, create a space uh, for musicians who play Arabic music to meet and mm -hmm. um, know each other because I noticed that um, there are a lot of musicians that I really don't know in the area that yeah. play music. And then I started meeting people who do music part time or like, you know, they're they like to play for themselves and their friends, but they're really not performers. Sure. Um, and in a way, I think the, um, the people in the, the, the diaspora um, is missing a little bit of this, uh, this culture. But mostly because I grew up in a house where this was sort of the, the norm. Mm -hmm. um, so I started thinking that if, if, if I had like a big house in DC, probably I would be having these jam <laughs> sessions right. in yeah. the house. Uh, but since I don't, then maybe we can use some of these spaces and bring people uh, together. Um, I really like interaction in, with the audience. It's yeah. something that brings joy um, to see people yeah. um, in that uh, state of uh, feeling happy and also yeah. sometimes really bringing uh, nostalgic memories or whatever. Whatever is the song that we're playing, mm -hmm. but it's this interaction I think that is special, spe special about this, these jam sessions, is that we're not just playing music for people. People are part of this performance, right. so they're also singing. They request songs, yeah. um, and we're also trying to focus on part of the repertoire that that doesn't get played much. So this is not the okay, let's keep dancing all night type music. <laughs> it's not heritage. What what we call like. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean it's just not that because there is enough room for that oh, around the area. Yeah. But uh, you can't necessarily go and listen to like songs from the thirties or the forties or uh, not at all. A bit more tarab or a bit more folk unless there are yeah. special concerts in the area and bands playing from yeah. Uh, different places in the US. So Definitely. it was, for me, it's kind of like how do we create a small Arab home that yeah. in, in the middle of DC that has this warm music, this warm experience, um, the ability for us to discover a new talent mm. uh, in the area and uh, learn about musicians that we really didn't know about before. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it was important, this is why the Mashrak Maghrib is, mm. I feel that. Much of the what we when we talk about Arabic culture, mm. we we almost always associate that with whatever is most popular in right. our understanding of cinema and film, film and cinema and um, TV music, which comes mostly from Egypt and the Levantine area, mostly right. Lebanon, really, exactly. and Syria sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but then anything that's beyond behind beyond this uh, region is is less in the mainstream. Uh, so we also try to bring some music from uh, northern Africa and uh, Iraq 
achieving the goals. Yeah. So to try to kind of get more inclusive. It's a great idea. How do you go about outreach? Because I remember when I went to uh, one of the jam sessions, there were a few people who just happened to be in town. There was a professor, I think, that was in town, and he heard about it. So how do you go about trying to make sure these other parts of the region are represented? Um, so we're trying to build a community um, of people. So I rely much more on mouth-to-mouth, person-to-person sort of outreach. Um, for example, that professor is a friend of one of the of Sam, who's a regular at the jam session, and okay. he's also a keyboard player. Um, and so he 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 had he knew that we were hosting the jam, so he told his friend to bring it out. Um, and sorry, I can't remember the name of the whole player at this moment, but <laughs> I think I believe he was from Sudan, if I'm not wrong. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, um, so it's really beautiful to see this kind of community building happening also. Uh, people telling other people, musicians telling other musicians about this. Um, and us learning about other musicians who are in the area who are also you know, happy to connect with other mm-hmm. people from the region and other musicians also from the area. So, yeah. yeah, cool. It's a very intimate space too, Bosa. It's very, like, you chose a, I mean, when you guys chose it, it's a great space for that kind of thing. Camaraderie. It was actually, so we were actually inspired by another project that was happening at Bosa, which is the District Draga. Oh, yeah. Uh, with friend um, Nista Raj. And uh, Nista had the idea inspired by another jam session that happens in Brooklyn, which is the Brooklyn uh, Drag um, uh, project, I think is the name. Cool. Jam sessions. So they uh, they bring in um, musicians who play raga, um, Indian traditional music, awesome. influ- infused with other genres, um, and they they have like an open jam session and a curated concert usually. So she's uh, she's hosting these jam sessions also at Bosa. Nice. So Rob, uh, one of the owners of Bosa, approached me and said. We've been talking about this for a while. Why don't you just, you know, start an, an air jam session as well? Awesome. Uh, something that would be more for folks from the region. Yeah. yeah. And it's been really great because we're also kind of working not only on music that is from the region necessarily, but also music that's in that has influence on the region. Kurdish. Yeah. Uh, we had a Balkan uh, guitar player. Oh, that's Balkans, really nice. Um, that just dropped into the jam. And it's cool. with us on it. So it's really, cool. um, it's really beautiful to see also all these people from different uh, yeah. other other neighboring cultures also Absolutely. jump into this jam session. Speaking of neighboring cultures, I know that Borders plays a big role in, in your music. Mm. Um, and I understand you moving around a lot has something to do with that. And the title of your album is Mars... What is it? Yeah, the first album was Mars uh, Back and Forth. Mars, Mars Back and Forth, right. Yes. Um, so I know that you wanted to incorporate Borders as part of the title and as part of your message. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you really go about taking a message like that and making it evident within your music? When I started working on Mars um, as an album, um, I had been in the U.S. for a couple of years, I think, uh, at the time. Um, and um, 
it was kind of a time to sort of like look back at my experience in during the Intifada and the siege of Ramallah. Mm. And this experience of being under siege for 24 days, uh, I had made the decision uh, to not leave the house at the time because I couldn't bear this idea that we had like windows mm. of times where we had to exist as human beings. Right, so, exactly. Um, the the experience was uh, so painful for me because I felt uh, I mean in addition to all the things that you feel under mm. war, um, but also the sense of alienation of being so far away from anyone who really cared about what was going on, um, and feeling that whatever people those who care can do is really not going to change anything on the ground, and that left me with so much. Um, pain um, that I really needed to kind of grasp to something mm. in, at the time. And um, I remember I didn't really, I think you start understanding how much you are enclosed once you kind of experience that, like travel again, right? Mm. So after leaving Ramallah, I remember I was in Alexandria um, to finish my studies, and then I had volunteered seven hours away in the south of, uh, of uh, Egypt and Minya to kind of uh, learn and teach some of the, some of the kids uh, through a choir that was happening there. Um, and the seven-hour trip in the train was the most liberating thing I had experienced really? at the time. Because we couldn't travel at all, like in Ramallah, oh, like for, for a few years, like, you know, the distance is what you can actually get, go in and out. It was very limited. And then all of a sudden, like for seven hours, no one's stopping, you know, checkpoints, no one's asking me where I'm going. I don't have to have an ID on me it's amazing. at all times. And yeah. it just hit me that, okay, wow, this is, this is, um, this is something, you know, like to mm. be able to, to travel freely, um, it's, it's an obvious thing to think about, right? Yeah, it's something but people I, take for granted. Yeah, and I think I also grew up with a Palestinian document, which, as many people who are listening know, that you can really move very... Uh, it's not an easy movement in the world sure. to have a Palestinian passport. Um, and I had been, like, you know, as a kid, we grew up where sometimes we could go to the family because we couldn't get a visa on them or whatever, whatever, wherever the family was meeting. Um, and in Mars, for me, it was, okay, so if I could go to this planet that was not yet drawn, <laughs> where political borders were not yet drawn, right. um, and what would the journey feel like? So it, it's sort of this um, uh, hopeful kind of, you know, fantasizing idea of living in a world without borders uh, where you can just be human yeah. without the label to, to go with it. That's very powerful. And do you think with your latest album, is it Kuni? I yeah. I'm really bad at pronouncing Arabic, so I'm <laughs> Arab and I can't speak Arabic. Um, what would be the biggest inspiration for that album? Was it similar to the first album? or I, uh, I think I've... I, for, for me, it's sort of the trying to live in a world without borders um, uh, in, in love, 
mm. um, for people to love freely yeah. without uh, all the barriers that we put on this, what I think is a very magical and powerful Absolutely. Um, tool um, mm. to change a lot of what is happening around mm. us. Um, so yeah, if we had to put it simply, I think that's what Yeah. That's what it would be. And you submitted this for a Grammy, is that correct? Are we allowed we to talk about that? I yes, don't know. So. <laughs> Can we say something? Well, if there are any voting members listening, uh, we need your vote. But, yeah, uh, that's so yes, cool. Yes, we submitted for the Grammys. So it's kind of a, a leap of faith, but uh, I think if you can do it, why not? Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. Do you think, is there a, a song on the album that really resonated the most with you, or that you were like, was almost like therapeutic when you were performing it? Um, I think Fadap was cathartic in the sense that uh, I broke all the rules without really like, um, it felt good, it's not really nice. Which one was it? So this is uh, the last song on the album and it's uh, Distorted Road, um, three lines of Distorted Road with very uh, drums and cool. um, bass and rock feeling. Um, so yeah, Fed Up for me was definitely that cathartic. Um, but I think the album generally is mm. that for me. Um, I bet. Yeah. And every song has um, has like a story that in, I think, if anything, this was a very uh, it came from an honest place. Like mm. if sure. we didn't do anything, I think <laughs> I think we did that. So that's good. Awesome. Um, if you wanted, so I know you have a few performances and some like a festival coming up so i don't know if you wanted to discuss that briefly yeah make your plugs uh, <laughs> make your plugs man that's what this is for <laughs> uh, okay the plugs is like so we're performing for the mei gala on november 7th awesome uh, yeah thank cool. you so cool uh yeah well, so this will be sort of a a, a smaller um uh, a smaller ensemble with a string quartet mm-hmm. bass and drums no, some vocals, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then uh, we fly to Egypt on the 8th uh, for performance on the 12th um, as cool. part of the Shreesh Festival, mm-hmm. uh, part of Gothe Institute's uh, right. work in, in, uh, in Egypt and beyond. So mm-hmm. they just had the Shreesh Festival in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I think, have another one in Tunis and Lebanon. So we'll be in the Cairo, nice. in the Cairo Festival. And then um, on the 27th, uh, and then we have the jam sessions. Yeah, the 27th, Um, right. So the jam sessions will happen uh, on, I think people need to check our Facebook page. I was going to ask, I was going to say Facebook's (laughs) the best way. To be uh, sure. Um, Yeah. So uh, we're trying to kind of set a day in the month, but this keeps changing due to the how busy Sure. Um, so uh, the latest information is that it will be November fifteenth, which is good because then I can be actually at the jam. Wonderful. Uh, and uh, I think we're still talking about December. It probably be December twentieth, but we're still trying to figure it out. Um, and then uh, this uh, November twenty seventh, uh, I'm playing. Uh, with a new uh, and a new part of a new collaboration project with uh, Nisparaj, who's an uh, Indian violin, a uh, classical Indian and uh, uh, classical violin player, 
Um, and Cao Tian, who is a dulcimer, Chinese dulcimer um, oh. player. Wow, that's a collab right there. And we will have with us uh, Avicha on the tabla. Uh, so I think it would be, uh, it's, I'm, I'm personally, I'm actually heading to the rehearsal. That's oh, so nice. cool. Right, cool. Uh, Sounds so exciting. I'm very well. excited about what this collaboration will bring. Yeah. That's Me too. amazing. Cool. Huda, thank you so much for oh, chatting with you. us. Joining us. This is like, I'm so inspired. Are you inspired? I'm very inspired. I want to go, I feel like going to, I'm in a gym. I can't even play an instrument. No, I, I have some other pursuits I need to work on this weekend. Yes. Heather, you're amazing. Thank you so much thank for doing you. this. Thank you and, so much. and thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. And stay tuned for more episodes. Yeah. And check out Huda's jam sessions. They're awesome. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.